0: As somebody who has been on this journey of money and experienced the high highs and experienced the low lows, today I bring you a very enlightening and empowering conversation with somebody who I consider to be one of the best in the world in terms of money, psychology, and our behaviors with money. So if you want financial increase, not just in your bank account but in your overall well-being and your energy and your relationship with money you are going to absolutely love this conversation with dr maria nemeth on this episode of the authentic success podcast do you ever feel like you were made for more and you just don't know what this looks like yet My name is Jordan Ulrich, and I've made it my mission to help people just like you align with your inner genius, lead a fulfilling life on your terms, and facilitate true transformation from the inside out. Authentic Success is here to challenge you, inspire you, and bring you actionable strategies for stepping into the highest version of yourself from some of the world's greatest minds. You were put here with a unique purpose. It's time that we discover it and bring it to life. This is the Authentic Success Podcast. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Authentic Success Podcast. My guest today is somebody whose work I value uh, to an incredible degree. She is the founder of the Academy for Coaching Excellence and bestselling author of one of my favorite books, The Energy of Money. She has guided thousands upon thousands of people to their version of financial success. And of course, our topic today is money. So, Dr. Maria Nemeth, thank you so much for participating. In this today. Oh, I'm and
1: thrilled to be my, here. Just thrilled, Jordan. Thank you for asking me.
0: This is wonderful. So, um, I, I refer a lot of people to this book, The Energy of Money. And uh, I also have a separate workbook for uh, <laughs> so Nothing Gets Mixed Up. Uh, But I do, you know, I was telling you before we had begun that that to me, it's more, uh, it's better than most courses uh, that some of them I've paid thousands upon thousands of dollars for, uh, because the book in and of itself really is an experience. It's not just a book you sit and read, and it really dives deep into your money story. But what I wanted to ask you was, because I think most people that do work like you are doing do it because they've probably experienced the opposite at some point right so oh yes yeah so like was money always easy for you i'm going to you're gonna to know.
1: you're gonna have me tell an embarrassing story yeah about you. good i yeah yeah i can tell oh my okay i'll tell it very quickly um some uh boy it's 40 years ago now um i loaned someone Thirty-five thousand dollars on an unsecured promissory note. Now, unsecured promissory note means it's not worth the paper it was written on, really. And uh, <laughs> Jordan, it was someone I I didn't even know for more than two and a half months, and um, I it wasn't even my money. I borrowed it at ten and a half percent interest, because the man to whom I was giving this money said I would earn about thirty-two percent on my investment. Now it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, really, you know, and, and, and I've learned that anytime sound, something sounds too good to be true, it is too good be, to be true. But at that time I was just really excited. And, and um, uh, I asked my friends and my, you know, he said, invest 35,000 with me and it's going to multiply and multiply. I invent, asked my friends and colleagues and relatives, uh, what do you think I should do? And they said, don't do it, but I didn't listen. Mm. And there was even a point, Jordan, where I was about to sign over the check to him, 35,000 and mm. zero, zero over a hundred with a little line. So he couldn't cash it for more. <laughs> smart. <laughs> yeah, really smart. You know, I was no fool and, you know, that little voice inside this kind of sweet, small voice, this voice of wisdom, I now call it. It was telling me, don't do it, but I did it anyway. So here I hadn't listened to my friends. I hadn't listened to this voice inside of me. I gave him the money and I lost it because it was one of those pyramid schemes, those Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme kind of things. And I was so embarrassed now. Now. I did what any ordinary person does. Uh, When you're confronted with something terrible, I ran from it. (laughs) And then at the time I was a a psychologist practicing, a clinical psychologist. So I uh, started seeing uh, people uh, really trying to double my income, individuals, couples, groups, so that I could earn that $35,000 back really quickly. And during that, For about three and a half months, uh, I didn't really answer my phone when I knew a friend was calling because I was so embarrassed Mm. because I knew they were going to say, Maria, what happened to that money? (laughs) Well, about three and a half months into this, I get a call from something called a a woman. She's uh, in the Sacramento Bee, which is a newspaper here in Sacramento. She said, Dr. Nemeth. Uh, I have a question to ask you as a noted psychologist in this area. And of course I remember getting this very professional voice, you know, may I help you, <laughs> you know, you know, because I was, just, you know, I, I, you, you know, that professional voice we use sometimes when we want to make an impression. Of course. Yeah. Well now Jordan, I know that when I use that professional voice, my next karmic lesson is not far behind and, um uh, <laughs> and and here it was she said dr Nemeth, look i don't know if you know this i've been getting your name given your name from the university and everybody knows you're a great psychologist please help me there's been a lot of investment investment frauds here in sacramento over the past few months and we need to know from a person of your stature what kind of person gets taken by those deals she said you know really what's, what's wrong with these people? And of course she was talking about me. I had just <laughs> lost all that money. Now, the next thing was almost worse because I'm an extrovert and with extroverts, in, in order to know what we're thinking, we have to say it out loud. And so I remember saying to her almost unbidden, I I was one of those people. And I started talking about it and how I'd lost $35,000 and I was so embarrassed. And she did say to her credit, are you sure you want to tell me this, Dr. Nemeth? Because I'm writing an article on this. And it was at that point, Jordan, that I I said, you know what? I'm tired of running. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell the truth. And if my telling the truth helps one person at least that that'll take some of the sting out of this. So I told her my story and I gave her permission to publish in the B, which she wow. did, you know, Dr. Maria Nemeth noted psychologist, got taken by this deal. And, and really, if you want to look it up, it's still in microfiche <laughs> at the Sacramento <laughs> B, <Bee>, you know, <laughs> cause it was so long ago, but you know, uh, Upon reading this, my friends and colleagues and relatives, they started calling me, but they didn't ask me, why did you do this? They started talking to me about their difficulties with money. And I saw, Jordan, that it didn't matter how much or little money you have. The story was almost always the same, a sense of disempowerment. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember one man said, said to me, Maria, I would hate for people to know how little money I have, because I'm a, you know, a pillar of this community. Another woman said, you know, I have a lot of money. But every time one of my girls calls me, I don't think it's because she wants to tell me she loves me. But she wants to ask for more money. And so I decided to start a course that I needed to take. And that's how the course got started. And, you know, the first, the first question, because I got groups of us together, and the first question I had us all look at was this. What is it that you would pay someone a lot of money not to have to look at regarding your own relationship with money? What is it that you just don't want to look at And we started right there telling the truth about how we were handling money. And out of that, over the years, people started having miracles because the minute you tell the truth, it opens you up for the next part of your adventure. But so I tell people that everything you learned from me in this book, uh, The Energy of Money in my subsequent book, Mastering Life's Energies, or... If you come to the Academy for Coaching Excellence, that is not just for coaches, incidentally. It's if you want to have a personal breakthrough in your relationship with life, not just money. But everything I ask you to do, I've done myself so that I know it, it, it works. So that's my embarrassing story.
0: I like I like that story. And I know in, in the book, you said that, um, if I remember correctly, you said what you felt not so great about was that the driving force behind it was greed.
1: Greed, absolutely.
0: I look greed. for a quick re- for for fast quick return. Yeah,
1: quick return on the money. You know, yeah. And uh, the minute I told the truth about that, it, it was it was a big relief for me. And I think that's why uh, my friends and colleagues and relatives started calling me because they knew I was telling the truth so uh you know they didn't have to hide from me any of their own mistakes
0: that's very powerful what you said about um telling the truth and the truth can really set you free because a lot of the time when we are unclear on what's truly going on in my experience make it a much bigger thing than it actually is um There's a difference between maybe somebody saying I'm drowning in debt versus just calculating how much debt is actually there. And the truth might be, I have whatever, $35,000. Okay, well, now at least we know, right? Now we don't Mm -hmm. have to just, now it's not this big, you know, dark ocean. Um, A turning point in the book for me comes very early when you said there's, there's a new energy that comes about you when you are just willing. Before you even do anything, just saying, I'm willing to look. Um, Why is it the illusion is that if I avoid this another day, I'll be safe for another day. When I think the truth is that looking is far more stress relieving than uh, the, the temporary pleasure or safety that is false that comes from avoiding Uh, Why is it so important, though, to just start with saying, okay, I'm willing, like, I don't know all the steps, but I am willing, at least willing, maybe it's like making one phone call. Um, But how does that start to open us up to, you know, what you call miracles, like, like things really moving in the right direction by just starting off by saying, um, I'm willing to look or I'm willing to start.
1: Well, I'm I'm glad you're asking me that question to begin with. Um, actually, very few people ask me this question right at the beginning of uh, my talks with people, and I want to say that to be willing is the greatest power that we possess. Um, and subsequent to this book, I've found that to be true. You know, uh, I'm Dag Hammarskjöld, who was the second secretary-general of the United Nations, Swedish, uh, was also a very spiritual person. And he had a number of phrases that were really meaningful for me. But one of them was this, uh, a, a quote that I use a lot. He said, for all that has been, I say thank you. And to all that is yet to be, I say yes. Oh, I love that. You That's- know, to all that has been in my life. And that means the ups, the downs, the good times, the bad times. I say thank you for this, for this. You know, it's reminiscent of uh Nelson Mandela, who said, I never I never lose. I either win or I learn.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: You know, but he's so so Doug Hamashill says. For everything that has been, I say thank you. And to all that is yet to be, I say yes. Can you imagine the power of saying yes? And um, to be willing, I am willing. You can be willing to do something you don't know how to do. You can be willing to do something you think you can't do. You can Mm. even be willing to do something you don't want to do, I say that if you want the four most powerful words in your life to use, and I often say this, put this uh, to people, I say, put these four words where you can see it every day. And they are this, this, nevertheless, I am willing. Where nevertheless means with everything happening, don't take anything away. Nevertheless, I am willing, it's nevertheless, yes. Yeah. And the minute I say, nevertheless, I'm willing, it opens me up to who I truly am, which is someone who is capable of doing that, which I don't want to do or think I can't do or have problems doing. Nevertheless, I'm willing. Gives me a place to stand, you see. Yeah, no doubt. It's so powerful.
0: That is, I mean, that's that's the the epitome of of a freeing sentence, if I have ever heard one. Um, when people say, because I think the importance of having nevertheless there is that if you were to just say I'm willing, the first thing that the conditioned mind might say is yes, but look at all the things that happened. In the past. So adding nevertheless says, I know those things happened in the past. Um, how important is it for people to learn to let go of the past? Because in in a short example, when I started, um, the, the first business I ever started was. Pre-COVID, uh, it was a it was a offline. The business still exists uh, to to this day. I'm I'm not uh, involved in it anymore, but uh, it, it was an offline business offering um, guided uh, fly fishing trips and adventures and things. Yeah. And I had borrowed twenty thousand dollars from a close friend, and I had put t- uh, twenty thousand of of my own dollars into it. And at the time it was like all I could do was play offense because I was not afraid of anything. Um, I had never experienced a business failure or setback. So it was just this pure excitement to get up in the morning and I would lay in bed just dreaming about how excited I was about this business. And it didn't take me long to learn that uh, $40,000 is not as as um, much as I had thought that it was. <laughs> um, and and like Michael Gerber speaks about in his book, uh, The E-Myth, where he talks about how the, the great illusion is that people assume that because they're good at something, it will be easy for them to have a business doing it, right? But they're two uh, different worlds. Um, but as time went on, I started to experience things um, not happening as quickly and smoothly as I had expected. I had some success, uh, uh, obviously. I mean, the, the the business has survived what will be five years now. So it's not like I lost it in the first six months or anything, but there were many very tight times. And, ups and, and
1: downs, ups and downs.
0: I mean, downs to the point of like, uh, do I buy this cucumber or not at the grocery sure. store? <laughs> right. Sure. Um, but how important is it for people to not hang on to the things that have taken place, and and to be able to start with a sentence like you have said, Never, nevertheless, I'm willing," and and to be able to forgive rather than carry those mistakes around with them like like a you know a bag of rocks that they're carrying on their back. Um, and and just say, okay, these are the mistakes I've made. This is the truth. Okay, I have done these things in the past, Um, but I can do things different and I can start over or or I can correct course. Um, What would you say for somebody to go about learning to release the emotional weight of previous mistakes so that they can go at the thing that they want with energy rather than living in a uh, defensive mode or, or what I would call the mode of like constantly playing the loop of, I, I hope things don't get worse than they are, which usually makes things worse. Than they <laughs>
1: <are>. <laughs> so tell me, uh, I, I love what you're saying. So, so if, if you were to say your question in one sentence, because there's so many different ways to answer this rich way you're posing the dilemma, what might your question be?
0: How does somebody move forward? How, how does somebody um practice forgiving their past mistakes um in a way that's going to allow them to move forward with with you know the the energy that they're going to need to bring into the future to fix or you know clean up some things that they have done.
1: Well, this is I'm glad you're asking me this and boy, I wish we had 3 hours to answer the question. But in order to answer this question very quickly, I want us to consider that uh, uh, whoever's listening, you are not your brain. you you are not your brain. you have two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and a brain. Yeah. you are that which has the capacity to literally change, and uh, sculpt your brain. And the second thing to realize is that our brain as an organ has not changed much in over 100,000 years. No. And that um, 100,000 years ago, when we were living in caves, our brain's main focus was on keeping us alive. And so every time we'd go to the edge of the cave, let's imagine, uh, Jordan, you and me and anyone else who's listening, let's imagine that we're all in the cave together right now and we're about to go out and get something to eat. So we get to the edge of the cave and we begin to go into the sunlight and what's the first thing your brain is going to look for?
0: Mm, danger.
1: Absolutely. danger. Yeah. Yes, predators, danger, because that's the brain's way of trying to protect us. You know, it's like, you know, there's really a saber toothed cat out there, or there's a woolly mammoth out there. Now, this is the thing, this is the conundrum in a way. The people who had brains that did not prepare them, they died. You know, the brain said, there's no tiger out there. And there really was. Yeah. You see, they didn't survive. So in essence, you and I are the survivors of people, ancestors who had brains that could warn them about every danger possible. Uh, scientists now are starting to call it the negativity bias. mm mm-hmm. It's that the brain, if given a choice, will always look for what is going wrong before it looks at what's going right. Fast forward, you and I have this poor brain (laughs) and it still believes, Jordan, that we are 100,000 years ago, even 50,000 years ago. And so all it wants to do is to warn us against danger. So um, how does it warn us against danger? By telling us everything that could go wrong, even everything that could go wrong again, if we try to go outside and look for something to eat. In this case, it would be if we try to go out and start a business. Now, how do you handle it when your brain says that? I found a very convenient way very simple way. And it's this, have some compassion for your brain, have some compassion for this organ that has been around for a hundred thousand years, trying to protect us, always trying to protect us. And even bringing up things that won't work from the past, they didn't work then, what makes you think it's going to work now? So having compassion for your brain is like doing the following. Whenever my brain starts telling me about how something won't work, I say to my brain, it's okay, dear. <laughs> it's okay, sweetheart. <laughs> I know you're trying to protect me. It's okay. And when you do that, you are uh, practicing two things. You're practicing compassion but you're also practicing agency meaning that you are the one in control not your brain so in an yeah. interesting way you are showing your brain look i hear what you're saying and and you know <laughs> let me give you a little compassion for it because you still really believe we're 100,000 years ago yeah the minute you do the next thing i say to people because i love processes the next thing you do is find one thing in the moment for which to be grateful because gratitude um, uh, disentangles us from anything going on in the brain. So one thing for which you're grateful. And then, and then you can, on a three by five card, you can put, nevertheless, I am willing and put it where you can see it all through the day, a lot of people put it right next to their computer screen. And anytime you hear your brain, uh, it's going to happen again, and all this stuff is going to be you know, terrible, and just have some compassion for this poor, overactive amygdala that all it wants is to protect us, even it still believes that there's a woolly mammoth out there. And the minute you have that compassion, find one thing for which to be grateful. You're changing the state of the brain, you see. You're having another part of the brain take over. And then after that, print in your own words. Don't don't print it on a computer and type it and then print it out. Print it in your own hand, your own handwriting. Nevertheless, I'm willing you may have to do that a few times, three, four, five times. But I tell you something, Jordan, after a while, your brain gets the idea that you are the alpha. Yes. That you are the alpha. And uh, what do I mean by the alpha? People listening know that in any pack of dogs, for example, there's always the leader, the alpha, that the rest of the pack follows. And it's really important to establish with the brain that you are the alpha here. And this is one of the best ways possible because the more Jordan, the more you try to push it away, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, uh, let go. You know, the minute I say the word, let go, what does my brain say? Not mm-hmm. now. <laughs> the minute I say, I have to forgive the past. What does the brain say? Nope, nope. Not today, but tomorrow. Not to, yeah, but if I say to the brain, honey, it's okay. <laughs> I hear you. You're only trying to protect me. Immediately, the brain starts calming down. <clears throat> and then you practice one thing for which you're grateful, which is changing the focus. You know, I'm saying to my brain, this is what I want you to focus on. Focus on one aspect of gratitude right now. And then we're going to put, I say to my brain, we are going to put nevertheless I am willing where we can see it.
0: And that's wonderful.
1: You'll find your brain is amenable to that sort of treatment
0: and eventually becomes habit.
1: Oh, yeah, and it's it, and and eventually the brain catches on. So, you know, Befriend the brain. Don't try to do anything with it. Don't try to pummel it into submission. Appreciate the poor thing that's been around us for ugh, 100,000 years. It's the it, old negativity response.
0: It is amazing that um, we we do have the the power of, I mean, we're one of the only beings on I think I think dolphins have four uh, percent, but but having this uh, this frontal cortex, what Dr. Joe Dispenza calls the crowning achievement of of human development, the ability to make conscious choice, um, a symphony leader, and what you had said about not trying to push against the subconscious uh, because you will never win, <laughs> uh, but accepting it for doing what it and and people think uh you know take self-sabotaging behavior is if we could boil it down at the end of the day is still protection um it just doesn't know <laughs> that it's not you know doing it the way we want it to do it uh
1: can I say something about that
0: yeah absolutely
1: okay real quick hmm, mm-hmm. I'd like you to imagine for a moment that there's no such thing as self-sabotage just for a moment. Imagine this, you know, sabotage uh, uh, kind of um, it makes us think of something working against us intentionally. Right. You know, do you know how sabotage many people think it developed? That um, in the turn of the 20th century back then, there were some workers in belgium who became angry at the at the bosses of this uh, company so they took off their uh, their wooden shoes called sabots and threw it into the machinery thereby committing sabotage
0: <laughs> wow
1: isn't that something but you know to say that our brain is sabotaging us in any way is to put us, I mean, unless unless you are hitting yourself with a wooden shoe, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That would be sabotage. That would be uh, sabotage. kind of painful. But unless you're doing that,' I'm, I'm suggesting that we remove from our vocabulary certain images that may not may not be the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: brain is not sabotaging us. Maybe we're doing something in a less than skillful way in which case it's time to be more skillful. Do you see, do you see how that kind of lightens oh, yeah. the load a little bit?
0: Especially in uh, the power that language has to influence yeah. Yeah. the mind. Right. Yeah. Um, when I, I will tell you, uh, in, in total transparency, and I'm sure you've seen this in, in many people, um, in, in your years of, of, doing what you do uh, a pattern that and and this is where i would get into deep um frustration with myself <laughs> because uh when when the conscious when you consciously want something mm-hmm. quite badly and you invest lots of time and money into it but unconsciously you may have a different agenda um the pattern of what what we could call feast or famine and an example would be getting to a point of oh my gosh what am i going to do just to make it through like let's just call it the end of the month and then a little bit of extra money comes in more than you had been expecting and as soon as the money is there you just like a magic trick find a way to dispel of it on something that may not even be meaningful or important. In the moment, it seems like a necessary purchase, um, but it was, you know, like a continual pattern of under earning overspending and just like sliding down this really slippery. Absolutely. hmm Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. And when people do that, Jordan, I often ask them, and this is the coach in me, because as you know, I've been coaching people now for about 35 years. You know, I've actually been working with people as a psychologist and as a coach for 52 years now. I tell people I was a child prodigy, (laughs) (laughs) but I've been around the block a few times, as you can imagine, and I've coached one or two people. Uh, When people do that, I ask them one simple question. Uh, Have you had enough of doing it that way? Have you had enough? You know, um, can you imagine a life that you could be living if you uh, weren't caught up in this kind of conundrum? And any of the other kinds of conundra (laughs) that we can get ourselves into when it comes to money? Because you know, money Of all the energies, now there are six kinds of energy. There's the energy of money, time, and you know, money and time, we talk about it similarly. We waste money, waste time, invest money, invest time. Then there's physical vitality. Then there's the energy of creativity, the energy of enjoyment, believe it or not, and the energy of relationship. But of all these six forms of energy, The one involving money holds the greatest opportunities for us to become masters in life because it is attached to so many things. You know, the simple energy that's really now nothing more than a blip on a computer screen. You know, 300 years ago, it may have looked like some gold that you could hold in your hands. Yes. But now it's like, Uh, you look at a computer. This is how much energy the bank says I have in my possession. So if we are to become successful with money, it'll transform the rest of our life. And my definition of success is uh, success is doing what you said you would do consistently with clarity, focus, ease, and grace where clarity is about being clear about what you want. Mm -hmm. Focus is about focusing your brain on what you want. Ease is about taking small, sweet steps instead of wearing yourself out. And grace, the definition of grace is is seeing um, unexpected blessings. And the gateway to grace, of course, is gratitude. So clarity, focus, ease, and grace. So therefore, to be financially successful is to do what you say you're going to do consistently with money, with clarity, focus, ease, and grace. So that in the last analysis, Jordan, it doesn't matter how much of this energy you have. What matters is how you're using it.
0: Yes. Absolutely. And I think that uh, the illusion of... Things will be, or, or I will feel differently about money when I have more, when I have more, I think is maybe a game that um, the conditioned mind likes to play, or I will be better with money when I have a sudden windfall of it. Um, you talk in your book about how, how money alone uh, does not fix scarcity. Right, right. How or or I loved uh, how you broke it into two words: scare city, which is is living in. uh, I mean, what I would call a constant state of survival. Um, There is no room for dreaming. (laughs) There's not. You've
1: experienced it. I I can tell. (laughs) I
0: have. I, I mean. Um, that, that was what led me to, uh, the discovery of, uh, emotional freedom techniques or tapping, um, meditation. The first time I ever tried tapping was because I was in such financial, this was 2018, uh, such financial distress that I, I just didn't know where else to look. Um, I didn't know where else to go. And the worst thing is needing to figure something out quickly. If you have two weeks to figure something out, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> when you have two days, right, it's very challenging. But like you said about the the survival brain, when it's when that amygdala is firing and and our body is flooded with um, you know, cortisol, epinephrine or adrenaline, and we are in the state of of physical preparation to fight flight or freeze there is that the logical creative thinking brain is completely turned off it's not not time to dream um but what are steps for people to move from because abundance thinking is only a shift in perception and i loved what you said on one of your podcast episodes when you said a miracle is just seeing that all is well, right? Yes.
1: Not. Let me give. Yeah. Let Let me leave you with this because, I I wish we had two hours uh, and and together. Then I could talk about shifting, from scarcity uh, away from scarcity, but uh, it's mostly shifting toward something. Yes. It's not so much what we shift away from; it's what we shift toward, and Willa Cather. Uh, a great uh, author who has written many, many books. They're just fabulous, uh, early 20th century. She wrote in this book, Death Comes for the Archbishop, uh, My favorite, one of my favorite books. She writes, uh, miracles rest not so much upon healing power coming suddenly near us from afar, but upon our perceptions being made finer so that for the moment our eyes can see and our ears can hear what has been there around us always? Yes. And I want to, if if I might, leave our listeners sure. with um, uh, might might you be willing to try an experiment for the next thirty days, even ten days. Put the words, print the words. Nevertheless, I'm willing. Place them where your brain can see them every day. This is brain training. Whatever your brain focuses upon, it will gather evidence for. Sure, That's a whole other thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, practice simply focusing upon nevertheless I'm willing, especially when you're up to something that's big and all of a sudden you hear your brain getting really nervous. And practice even having a little compassion. You know, I as I said, I kind of tap my head sometimes. And I say, it's okay, honey. (laughs) You know, I understand. You think we're living a hundred thousand years ago. I got it. All you want to do is protect me. Really? I hear it. And you know what? Uh, you'll find the brain calming down a little bit. Isn't that weird?
0: I love it. I, this has honestly been, uh, one of the only conversations I've ever had that I would call in, uh, enlightening. I mean, truly enlightening.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Uh, I want to thank you so much for taking your time. I have the, the last question that that was a burning question that I had is, do you think that financial success is available to anybody? Oh, that desires uh, yes.
1: Yes. Well, of course, uh, doing what you said you would do consistently with money, with clarity, focus, ease, and grace is the hallmark of financial success and therefore people who have much less money uh, can be said to be financially successful, especially if they're going on the vacations that they love, they're living where they want to live, they're having a life with their family that's, uh, that's wonderful. That, these are the earmarks of financial success. It's not about the amount. No. Although if you want more, Uh, some of what we've been talking about will help you. And certainly if anyone's interested in taking a course uh, from me uh, and my colleagues, they're welcome to come to the academyforcoachingexcellence.com and look up the Academy Foundational Training. Although we train coaches, which is if you're a coach, you want to come, this Academy Foundational Training is for everyone. So if you If you love what I'm talking about, um, please go on to acecoachtraining.com and have a look-see.
0: Absolutely, and I highly suggest to everybody to grab a copy of uh, the Energy of Money book. And I always tell people, don't just write in your notepad and don't use a document on a computer. Get a separate journal that is dedicated I love it. to this book because it really is a deep dive through uh, your money timeline, your story and drawing a roadmap to where you want to go. So uh, acecoachtraining.com. I will leave all of the links, obviously, uh, beneath in the description and the notes. Uh, Dr. Maria Nemeth, thank you so very much for taking your time here today. Such a pleasure. appreciate
1: it. Well, you're one of the best uh, uh, people to talk with at any time. You bring out the best in the folks that you talk with. So thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you.
0: Yes, I will see you in July. Thank you so much.
1: Great. (laughs) Bye-bye for now.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Authentic Success Podcast. If you've made it this far, it means you are not a dabbler and that you are someone who's truly committed to making a lasting change. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating, comment, or review as it helps me bring this message to more people that need it. If you want to go a step further, this is an invitation to grab a free copy of my book, Authentic Success, at jordanulrich.com forward slash success. Keep your energy up, keep moving forward even when it's scary, and I'll see you on the next episode.